0: It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, with your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes.
1: Hey, 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 greetings, welcome back, thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience, and I really do mean that, thank you for supporting the little Ambiguously Blind Podcast. We are the podcast that could, we are uh, continuing to grow and reach new people, and that's all because of, of you, the dear listener. And the support through sharing and commenting and liking and um, posting reviews and comments throughout social media and wherever places that the podcast appears. So, thank you for that. And if you're interested in taking your support to a whole new level, we have a Patreon account where you can contribute financially to the growth of the Ambiguously Blind podcast. There'll be a link in the notes for this episode and, and most others where you can visit Patreon and learn more about the Patreon campaign how you can support the podcast financially and help us keep moving and grooving and continue to uh, challenge beliefs and reveal abilities that make people extraordinary. Like our guest for this episode, Crystal Beecham, she is a fellow bacterial meningitis survivor like me. She contracted meningitis when she was in college at age 19, which is a lot like me, but that's about all I know about her story, so I'm interested to know more about it. Uh, her experience with meningitis, and what she's been doing since. Hey, Crystal. Thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast.
0: Thank you for having me this uh, evening.
1: Let's talk a little bit about meningitis. We have that in common, among some yes, other things that I think we've discussed. That we've, <laughs> It may not make it to the uh, light of this particular podcast, but for sure, but meningitis. Interesting,
0: interesting nonetheless, Interesting right? nonetheless.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly, yes. So you know more about meningitis than the average uh, person knows about meningitis. So tell me what you know about meningitis and kind of give me your story, and we'll see where our stories compare and maybe contrast a little bit.
0: I would say, unfortunately, I do. But um, So I am a meningitis uh, survivor. I contracted uh, bacterial meningitis um, as a junior in college. It was actually my first day of the uh, spring semester, and my dad had brought me down. My parents are both school teachers, and my dad had retired earlier that um, year. And so he brought me down uh, to start the semester. And so I just remember waking up that morning on the first day of class. You know, you're excited. You're going to class. I was that kid that booked the 8 a.m. classes. I, I guess I'm just a morning person.
1: Mm, yeah, I wasn't um, one of I booked, those. I wasn't Right? One
0: of those. I think I was the only one. Um, so I booked the 8 a.m. class, um, and it was a math class at that. But I remember, yeah, it was a total fail. But I remember getting up that morning and I just felt, so something was off. Um, I felt, um, I tell you all the time, was not a drinker at 19, but I just felt very much hungover. I just felt very sluggish. Um, I really couldn't put my finger on it, but, you know, I knew I had to go to class to get the semester started. So I headed to class and I would say maybe two hours into the day, I was into my second class. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was having trouble. I had the worst headache I've ever had in my entire life. I was seeing stars. I was finding it hard to walk. I was just very disoriented. So I left class and I went and um, laid out in the quad on a park bench. And thank God for cell phones at that time, right? Um, Thank God for the Nokia 5100. Didn't everyone have a Nokia 5100? I think I may have um, had that.
1: Is that kind of, yeah, I, I think I did yeah, have everyone that. Now had what like year those, is this? Give me give me a year. This
0: is 2003.
1: Okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I had a yeah, Nokia so phone had, for sure. I don't know if yeah, I had that exact had the one. Yeah, everyone
0: had the brick phone, as we called it. Everyone had the big brick phone. Yeah. So I call my dad. Um, luckily, he had not left um, the city yet. My sister lived in New Orleans at the time as well. And um, he had not left the city yet. And I said, I just, you know, I just don't feel well. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll turn turn around. I'll head back to campus and, you know, we'll figure it out. And I told him, you know, I'm not going to be able to walk. I'm not going to be able to get off this bench. So he got to campus. He found me, um, got me to the car. And I think that's when we really realized, okay, you know, this could be serious. So we decided to head to the E.R., and things just happen quickly once you get to the er Um, they start asking all the questions i had a very high fever i think it was 104 it was in the 104s um i was just very disoriented and so they started their battery of tests and um i think they just came to the conclusion that it was a very high probability that i had bacterial meningitis so they rushed me in uh for a lumbar puncture spinal tap, rushed me in for that emergency um, procedure, and then just immediately got me started on the great antibiotic cocktail. And it was just, I just remember it being very, very rushed, very um, uncertain. It's kind of like I tell people, you know, it's a little bit like the medical shows you see on TV that everyone's running around saying, let's try this, let's do this. We need to get this going. And so I just remember being very scared and, I remember asking the doctor you know you just said bacterial meningitis am i gonna die and he literally looked at me and said you know we're working on it we're gonna do the very best we can but this is very serious so that's what happened i was admitted to the hospital um of course i was in the hospital for a few weeks um while they treated me Um, i got a little bit worse before i got better but like the doctor said I was actually very lucky I caught it somewhat early um I knew that something wasn't right and so I just you know paid attention to those symptoms and I got to the hospital as soon as I could you know seconds or hours literally hours could mean the difference with bacterial meningitis because it's so progressive and so you know I you know could have gone back to the dorm room I could have you know, not paid attention, but I immediately knew that I probably needed to get medical assistance. And I think that's ultimately one of the things that saved my life. Um, So I was in the hospital for a few weeks. I did have um, some complications. I had complications with my liver and my gallbladder. I still have some of those um, irregularities now with those organs. I also suffered some temporary hearing loss, which... Thankfully, um, I was able to regain that after some um, audio therapy after I got out the hospital. But um, just things like that—you um, wake up one morning and you, you know, you're functioning and you're doing all the things, and then by the end of the day, like life has flipped over, you know, on its just completely flipped over on its back. So it was a very um, traumatic experience for me. Just a lot of uncertainty, not really knowing what was next. But I tell people all the time, I'm just, I feel very lucky and I feel very blessed um, that I was able to recover. And while I do have some long-term effects, not nearly as horrible as it could have been. And, you know, I, I mean, I could have died. Um, so I'm just very thankful in that regard that I was able to recover.
1: Yeah. So a couple of things throughout that, what you're just saying there that kind of struck my memory is the um, the doctor, you said at the ER, the doctors identified meningitis pretty quickly, it sounds like.
0: They did, actually. So, oh, I, left, I guess I left that part out. So, of course, you know, they asked the standard questions that are, you know, leading them to think, okay, these are all indicative. I had the high fever, the horrible headache. I could not touch my, my. Um, I forget the name of the test. I think it's the Rudinsky sign, something like that. But I could not touch my neck to my chest at all. I could not, like, I just had a horrible time, like with motor coordination. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest signs too. And so with all those signs, you know, they decided to be proactive and start antibiotic treatment immediately. And so we were waiting for that, you know, those results to come back from the spinal tap. And so the, the my spinal fluid was uh, definitely indicative um, of a bacterial infection. And so we had to wait for those cultures to grow over, I think, maybe 48 hours. But at that point they were pretty sure at that point with all the symptoms I had and the results from the lumbar puncture, uh, that I definitely, um, it was a great possibility that I had bacterial meningitis. And, you know, we were just waiting to confirm that with the cultures, but we, you know, you can't wait on a culture. Yeah.
1: Things could, things could be over by the time that comes back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but your dad was there, uh, initially and throughout the process, it sounds like at least at the hospital.
0: Yes. So I, again, I'm so thankful. Um, again, my parents were both school teachers and my dad, I said, like I said before, had retired earlier that year. So my mom was still teaching at the time um, in my hometown. So my dad was on parent duty, parent duty, you know, loading up the car and get me back to school. So I'm just thankful he was slated to leave that morning, um, but was running a little bit behind and hadn't left town yet. So I'm just so thankful that he had not left. Um, Because he was my, you know, my phone friend, he was my call and um, was there. My mom, you know, was able to join us shortly um, thereafter, after, you know, that's the call that you don't want to get as a parent, uh, hundreds of miles away that your child is in the hospital with a life-threatening illness. So my mom was able to get there pretty quickly. And so they were both there for me um, every step of the way. But I'm so thankful that he had not, you know, left town. Um, already that morning.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, this is like in the month of January, the the semester's just starting.
0: Yes, this was definitely, I, might, I would just say it was mid-January. It was a bright and sunny, I'll for forget, it was a bright and sunny, cold Monday morning. And what I remember the most as the day progressed is that, you know, it was maybe 40, uh, my school was on the lake. There was a lot of lake wind that would come in, but I was just so hot. I was sweating, Um, under layers, I guess I'm like, Oh, I have on a coat. I have on a sweater. I'm just hot. I was literally sweating in 30 degree weather. It was just one of those other things that, you know, helped me realize, okay, something's not right here.
1: Yeah. That's pretty abnormal. Yeah. Now for sure. You knew a lot about meningitis before this, right?
0: It's funny that you say that. So I knew about meningitis. Um, I knew what it was, but and I, I, I think about this now and how ill advised it is, but you you know, you always think about those things that you hear about, but you never really think that it'll happen to you. You think, Oh, mm-hmm. yep. it's what happens to other people. And yeah, so usually far even, away,
1: just people you don't even know. Oh, just
0: Absolutely. Like even growing up in middle school, you know, we had one of my classmates died from bacterial meningitis in middle school. And um I just remember that being very scary, but never was the correlation like oh that could happen to me and at the time um when i was in college there was a me- meningitis vaccine available uh the men acy was available but it was not routinely recommended by the cdc like it is now and so i you know my parents marched me to the doctor's office and i got my full battery of shots to go to school. We were, we're, you know, very much a vaccination family, get all the shots, go to school. But the meningitis vaccine wasn't even discussed with us Um when we got our, when I got my full battery of shots. And so I left that day, I guess, being protected from all these things, but definitely, you know, not having that first line of defense against meningitis. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, you never know what life, life will turn out to be, but I always often wonder if life would be different if I had ultimately, you know, known and been vaccinated. And of course, now it is mandatory for college students entering uh, college in my state. But um, at the time that, you know, I didn't have that safeguard.
1: Yeah. And your state is uh, Louisiana?
0: Louisiana. Yes.
1: The meningitis vaccine, although available was probably in its infancy at that time though, right? This is like in the early 2000s?
0: I believe. So again, it was one of those things that was definitely in hindsight. I think it was more have a conversation with your doctor and and see if the meningitis vaccine is, you know, right for you. But I guess the impetus at the time was on maybe the doctor to have the conversation with you or for you to know to walk in and have that conversation. And again, like I said, I would consider my parents very much well-informed, but it just wasn't something that, you know, people were talking about as much as we um, talk about it now. And especially with it being recommended now, the conversations just weren't as, I guess, as prevalent.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, like now we have uh, people like uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, as you might know as Kelly Kapowski. yes.
0: <laughs> The infamous beautiful Kelly Kapowski.
1: Yes, or your Molly Ringwalds of the world, who um, help um, advocate for for things like meningitis. So awareness is a lot more today, and I think it will continue to be more so as as time marches forward. Especially if Kelly Kapowski is out there, you know, doing her cheerleading um, rah rahs about meningitis, right?
0: Right. You know, I mean, that never hurts. But I think what's so interesting, like you said, as time marches on, you know, Kelly Kapowski is Tiffany is no longer just at Bayside. The cheerleader at Bayside, Kelly Kapowski now has a family that she's very concerned about as well, you know, uh, being safe from communicable diseases that are vaccine preventable. So she has been a wonderful advocate for meningitis vaccination and the importance of vaccination um, because it also hits home for her as well.
1: Yeah, it does. Were there any people that were also affected by meningitis when you were at that time? Or were you the the lucky one?
0: I was the lucky one. And it's so bizarre because I lived, I was, you know, I was the poster child. I I was a college student. I was college age. I lived in a congregate setting. I lived in the dorm. Um, I think what helped was that it was the first day I had only been on campus a night maybe two nights a night. I don't even know if my roommate had gotten back for the semester. So my contact, you know, you never know where you picked it up from, what happened, but my contact, my roommate, who I would have had the closest contact with, didn't spend the night in our room that night. She wasn't there yet. And so I think that my contact was pretty limited. So there was no outbreak on campus or anything like that. So it's just, you know, you ask the questions, how, where, when, why, um, but not really sure um, because there were no other reported cases on campus after mine in that time period. So strange
1: know. how that works. Cause I, I Very was strange. also the same. I was the lucky one and I certainly had, I had two roommates, so I certainly had some okay. contact with, with others. And I was in involved in a lot of, I was in, in sports. Mine was in the month of February. So we were playing basketball and so you were
0: was, well into a semester, like you weren't.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had come in contact with, you know, whatever you do, it was it wasn't nobody, but right. I happened to be the the lucky one. So that's that's the way it works sometimes. It viruses you know?
0: and bacteria are like they're just tricky things. So again, that's why I always go back to why vaccination is so important. We don't always, in our best efforts to control, we don't always know where we'll be exposed or how it will happen so that's what that extra layer of protection you know really does
1: yeah and as far as we know now there are five strands of meningitis there's ACWY, and y b. and
0: b right correct and
1: so those vaccines are available the acwy vaccine is available at age is it 11 or 12
0: 12 and 16
1: yeah so the, yeah the first one's available at age around 12 there's a booster for that one at age sixteen. Sixteen. And then I think there's also the uh the meningitis B vaccine is a is a single yes. one at the age of sixteen as well. Oh it's
0: at sixteen. So I have done a lot of um I believe so we know now that a lot of the um it's just science, right? So we know that a lot of the outbreak outbreaks that occur now on college campuses or in congregate settings are actually more so have been more meningitis B. Um, outbreaks. And I think that's in part due to, you know, so much, so many of these settings and colleges and things. We require the ACY shot. And so I think that that helps, right? Um, But for the meningitis B shot, I've tried to lobby really hard. And um, I've spoken, um, I did go speak to the CDC, to the advisory uh, committee on immunization practices about why getting that um, stronger recommendation for the meningitis B shot is so important. Um, so right now, the meningitis B shot is strongly recommended by the CDC, but, you know, i encouraged to have those conversations with your doctor. Um, and I think that's very important. Um, we know that viruses and bacteria are tricky. And so... Meningitis B is on the rise, and so um, we call it the 16 vaccine. Um, it's just so important. I tell people at the very least just to have those conversations with your healthcare provider to determine, you know, what may be best for your kid. Um, especially if you know your child's going off to college or going into an environment where they will be surrounded, you know, by a lot of children or young adults, rather.
1: Yeah. And, and your situation, you said you were in the hospital for a few weeks, maybe up to four weeks. What happened after the hospital? What what happened there? Walk me through that.
0: It's interesting. So you're in the hospital for four weeks. I, you know, I, in my head, I was going to sit out this semester. I said, okay, I can't. I've been in the hospital the first four weeks of the semester. I was so lucky to have a good support system um, at my university. I had professors who, would come by and bring me classwork and bring me syllabus syllabi syllabus syllabi, syllabi syllabi plural yeah syllabi. yeah we don't ever get to use that word a lot I like that syllabi that's
1: definitely a school um,
0: word, yeah. right and just really encourage me no you can't give up on this semester you know you should definitely like plug through we're gonna help you so well that's um, great I was, yeah yeah it was wonderful um and I I I'm so thankful for that. And so when I got out, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, what are we gonna do? I just was very fatigued. Um, I was still on antibiotic treatment. I had a home health care nurse um, who would come in three times a week, or was it more than three times a week? It was definitely at least three times a week to administer this cocktail of antibiotics. But I still had to keep the IV in place. So I was I went back to class um, with an IV attached to an IV.
1: Really like, a
0: yes. So
1: how does that, how does that work?
0: Terrified. Like I'm you're like, walking
1: around with one of those things on wheels, like,
0: you No, know, luckily for me, I was able to attach the IV to, it was attached to me, to my person, like under my shirt, mm-hmm. but it was still, um, the port and everything was still, I guess it's a port or whatever you call yeah. the thing that actually goes into your vein was still attached. And I, you know, at this point, um, and I'm sure maybe you can identify with this as well, your your all of your senses and your fears have been heightened at this point because you've just spent large amount of time in the hospital. I was terrified. I didn't want anyone to breathe or cough or mm-hmm. generally look in my direction.
1: Yeah, almost sounds like COVID, right?
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I was terrified. Um, so I it was a challenge going to class because, you know, in the back of my head I'm thinking that, but I'm also just trying to, you know, get back in the swing. Like walking across campus, it was a different walk at that point. Like walking across campus was exhausting. Walking up the stairs was exhausting. Um just so my body was just kind of
1: yeah, it Fatigue it going to, it go, and atrophy Yeah, it's like a battle, yeah.
0: right? Yeah, yeah there, a battle had been waged at this point and so I think my body won, but it was like, girl, we're tired. <laughs> We
1: need some time to recoup. Here.
0: We need some time. Yes. So that was, it was difficult. Like I want to say the first like month, at least after it was very difficult. I did, you know, I did also have some hair loss, like, um, I lost a lot of hair. It was just a very, um, challenging time. So I, you know, defeated meningitis and I'm back in the quote unquote real world, but I just had to wait for my body to catch up.
1: Yeah. I can relate. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you can. I can can, definitely relate to that. Yeah. It wasn't, I I wasn't wearing an IV in class. Where, where was the port at on your body? Was it in your.
0: So it was under, it was attached. It was attached to my arm. And that was another thing. I'm also rather petite. And so they had to keep moving it around for, I guess, vein health. Mm -hmm. So it started out in my arm, like in my, you know, on your hand. And then it moved to like the crook in my wrist, And then at one point we were getting desperate. So it was like in my foot. Mm, (laughs) I remember this. And it's like one of those things when you're in the middle of it, you just function, you just do it. You know what I mean? don't know
1: any better. This is it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's survival. So we just kept moving that thing around and, um, I would just be very conscious of it. I didn't want to like hit it, you know, in class or have someone bump into me. Um, it was stressful.
1: Now, what are your friends thinking? What are your what's your roommate thinking at this point? Like, are they are you this like uh, the Scarlet Letter? Are you everybody want to stay away from you? We just stay keep your distance. I tell
0: people I tell people this all the time. It's one of my favorite stories. It's one of the best things to come out of this. So, I lived in a co-ed dorm, and I was surrounded the way that the I guess the layout worked. I was surrounded by guys, so it was it was like two sets of girls. Sets of guys, two sets of girls, two sets of guys. The way it worked, and so the guys were very. They became a you know close knit family while we were in the dorm. But once I got meningitis, they became like guardians of the galaxy, right? So they were very protective of me. Um, one of my um, best guy friends to this day snuck ice cream into the hospital against doctor's orders you know, stuck it in under his shirt. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) One of those memories. And so when I got out, they were super protective to the point where I was like, you know, guys, I'm not going to break. Like, I'm okay. Like, I think I'm okay. But, you know, it was just great. I think we all um, actually just got a little bit closer because I think we all just kind of went through it at the same time and they were super great. And can we carry your books? And can we carry your backpack? And what do you need? Are you eating? Are you drinking water? So... They were the best. So I definitely don't feel, I feel like I had the scarlet letter. I kind of was putting it on myself, but my friends were super supportive and, and just great.
1: And you stay in contact with some of those, some of those guys and gals now?
0: Are my bestest friends to this day. I mean, we all kind of live in different places and do different things, but we definitely talk often. Um, had a lot of Zooms during the pandemic. Um, so definitely um, close contact because that one thing, I think we, that one memory, we all have different memories of that same event. So, you know, we'll talk about it and remember it um, every once in a while, but I think at some point all of us were scared at some point. So I do, I have a great group of friends. They're, they're going to listen to the ambi- um, uh, Ambiguously Blind podcast. I love you, friends. <laughs> <are> well, great. <laughs>
1: ambiguously is such a, it's a hard word to say. You know, it
0: is, but it, it it works. And so even harder to
1: spell. So I don't, I don't know why I chose that word, but I did. So
0: I think it rolls off nicely. I think it's a great word.
1: Mm, We'll see. We'll find out about that. I I hope so. Uh, but that's, that's interesting. And you went on to finish, finish school there in, uh, I finished this
0: semester. I did. I finished. Okay. So funny story. I'm so glad not funny, but interesting. I'm so glad that I finished this semester um, it was the best GPA I've had, the you know, I mean, not that I was a bad student, but I think I had all A's and one B. I worked really hard, and actually, I'm super glad that I pushed through because I ended up being on track. If I would have not finished the semester, I would have been a semester behind. And um I graduated from college in two thousand and five in May of two thousand and five, and Hurricane Katrina hit. In August of two thousand and five, mm, yeah. and I keep telling myself that. if I was a, yeah if I was a semester behind, my last semester would have started. Hurricane Katrina hit. Now, where, so where were you
1: in relation to Katrina? Where, where in Louisiana are you?
0: In college, I, I mean, I went to the University of New Orleans for my undergraduate. Oh, so you're right education. there. So yeah, I was, and I lived on the lake. Uh, the, our campus is on the lakefront, and. I moved to uh, when I went to graduate school. I moved from New Orleans about two and a half, three weeks before Katrina hit to my new destination, you know, for graduate school. And so, I mean, I had literally just left New Orleans um, and Hurricane Katrina hit my first day of graduate school. So, it was a crazy time, but you know, in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, everything works out for a reason. I pushed through despite having meningitis. We pushed through this semester with its challenges, um, and I was able to graduate on time. So
1: that's awesome. Yeah,
0: thankful for that for sure.
1: You mentioned graduate school. You moved away. Where did you go for that?
0: I became a member of the Fighting Texas Aggie class of 2000 oh
1: boy the, uh, so an aggie
0: <laughs> i became a um texas a&m aggie um for graduate school
1: Do you have to do any signals or sounds or uh, is that
0: so i know giggum and i know whoop
1: whoop or something okay
0: and um i will admit i was not i did not have the best school spirit um i was in a rigorous graduate program and I didn't have a lot of time to have as much fun as the undergraduates did. Some may label me a two percenter. Um, I was just trying to graduate and be great. <laughs> um, but I didn't really um, get to do all of the fun, all of the fun, like midnight Yale and the fun chance at the, you know, sporting games. I I just pretty much had my head in the book. Yeah.
1: Well, that as a graduate student a should years. at that point. Yeah, you're not an undergrad.
0: No.
1: You're there to 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 make something. Not that everybody's not there to make something them themselves, but you you've already I'm
0: there to get an advanced degree to go change the world, right? Exactly. No, <laughs> I was going to tell you. I, it was a wonderful experience. I think I went to like three games, four.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you if you if you attended a few football games.
0: So I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to get me excommunicated from the Aggie family. But here it goes. Secret revealed.
1: I love it. Let's go. Don't hold back.
0: The best. So my apartment in College Station was across, directly across the street from Kyle Field. Like I literally looked out my window and I was looking at the front of Kyle Field. So game, game time, game days were like big. It was huge. Mm -hmm. The entire city shut down games like everybody who lived in college station was at the you know game except for me so i meticulously planned my errands around game day because i knew if i went grocery shopping and shopping and went to the movies and i did all these things if i did them on game day there would be no one at the store so like game days were my like run errand days yeah because i would have everything to myself
1: and you, you said you were, you called yourself a two percenter, right?
0: Did, and that's the no. most horrible thing. So I'm the twelfth man and the two percenter at the same time. Whoa,
1: now that's that is impressive. <laughs> so the the common listener probably doesn't know what either of those mean.
0: These not, are A and M trade A and M trade secrets.
1: Not not that you need to go into great detail, but a the twelfth man. How would you define the twelfth man?
0: The twelfth man is is the man in the clutch, the man of the hour. The man that's here to save the day, he embodies the spirit of Aggieland. The 12th man can be anyone.
1: Anybody, and they're there, they're present, standing by, ready for...
0: Ready to do battle, ready to go in, ready to do the things, do the stuff.
1: So that's you, but to contrast that, you're also the two-percenter.
0: Yeah, that's me, except on game day.
1: Explain the two-percenter to the people that don't know what that means.
0: So the two percenter is the, (laughs) so I'm the 12th man except on game day. The two percenter is the Aggie that may not be doing, may not make all the midnight yell practices, may not make any of the the football games, may not stand up the entire game. That person can still bleed maroon and gold. I'm a maroon and white. I'm clearly two percenter. I said, go maroon and white, but that person is not, all in all the time
1: yeah I can relate I'm married to a two percenter an Aggie that's a two percenter so. two percenters
0: unite but we are very proud of our university yes um very proud of it and I will tell you um going to a my degree is in um public policy but one of the biggest things that I studied or the biggest things that I you know wanted to advocate for in in my work um so Katrina hit of course. But just the um, importance of providing healthcare access and policies that provided universal healthcare access after natural disasters, because we know that, you know, communicable disease is a real and present danger after major national, I mean, just after major natural disasters, things like cholera and Um, meningitis and things that are born out of like lack of resources because you know places have been decimated so knowing you know having that um, experience as someone who has been seriously ill from a communicable disease but being able to get that treatment and being able to have that access um, making sure that we advocate for policies and that we have plans in place that when natural disasters happen that we can limit the um, exposure to and limit the um, likelihood of like mass exposure to communicable diseases. That was really important to me. So I hope that I, you know, using that experience to be able to make sure that we're, you know, championing good healthcare policy for people during natural disasters.
1: Yeah. And as a person that's acutely aware of meningitis and around for Katrina, you are well-equipped to, to do that.
0: Yes. I mean, it was, it was a nightmare. Um, But knowing that, you know, we, we have better tools in, in place now, and it doesn't just really even extend to the United States, but we know all across the globe, you know, countries are dealing with, you know, not during a natural disaster, but just lack of water, lack of um, sanitary resources and all of those things, you know, can set the stage for communicable diseases to thrive. So that's why vaccination too is so important. Having that safeguard should something like that happen.
1: And so what would you suggest to people that um have kids that are so you were 19 when you got meningitis, right? That's I was 19, yeah. Yeah, so as a as a talking to parents of people that are that of adolescents that are I don't know between 10 and 20 what does the and and I should also mention too that you and I are both advocates for the National Meningitis Association.
0: Yes, we are.
1: We feel like the the NMA, for short, is is really doing some great work in this space Amazing to help work. educate people about the, the dangers and the fast-acting nature of meningitis, of meningitis. And, and how it can really just come out of nowhere and take the life of an otherwise healthy um, child or, or adult even in the matter of yeah. within 24 hours. hours. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, it can be, it can be, everything's fine. Everything is, is not fine fine. very quickly. And what, what would you say to people that that have children that, that fall into that category of, of age?
0: So I'm very passionate about speaking to parents and teens, um, because I think it's a two way street. So for parents, I think it's so important, um, to understand what resources are available as it relates to, you know, being proactive so that we have vaccines in place. Vaccines are safe and vaccines are, they're reliable um, and they help prevent transmission of meningitis. So knowing what vaccines are available, knowing whether or not, you know, whether they're mandatory in your state or not, but just encouraging parents so much to have conversations with their healthcare provider um, about all, you know, all communicable diseases, but especially about meningitis since um, that age group is, you know, it's such high risk have the conversations. Um, I just think it's so important. And I wish, you know, I wish my parents would have been able to have a more open conversation with my um, healthcare provider at the time, just about, you know, vaccinations and, and what's important. But I think even more so important for students, as well as parents, but especially for students, understanding what meningitis is, how it's transmitted, but also understanding the symptoms and knowing the symptoms. I think what we've learned, unfortunately, um, even in the past two or three years, that so many diseases have the same trademark, unfortunately, trademark symptoms. But at the end of the day, you know when something doesn't feel right, right? So just knowing, you know, about how the symptom onset happens and just encouraging students to know that and to you know, be proactive and, or actually reactive and to seek medical help. Um, like you said, in my experience, again, the doctors have said, you know, just being so quick acting and the moment I knew something wasn't right, you know, the couple of, I think maybe a couple of hours passed, but knowing that I needed to get to the hospital is ultimately what I think stopped the progression um, of uh, meningococcal disease so quickly but a lot of times students don't know and they think, oh, I have the flu or, oh, I just don't feel good. I'll just take some Advil or I'll, I just need to take a nap or I need to um, just rest. And like you said before, it is such a progressive disease and hours could be the difference in long-term effects. So I just advocate to parents have those conversations, but also have those conversations with your teens about what to look for? Should they, you know, possibly contract meningitis?
1: And I think one of the things you said earlier too was that when you were at the hospital, you got there in a quick timeframe. But I think mm-hmm. the the facility you, you were you were blessed to be at um, was able to identify it relatively quickly too. Because oftentimes it goes misdiagnosed even at the hospital. I've, right. I've talked to people even on the podcast that have went to the hospital and were sent home because they thought they just had a case of the flu or some sort of... The
0: flu or um, virus. Yeah it's, yeah, it's
1: viral, and you'll just need to rest a little bit and then end up going back to the hospital with, with severe issues now because of... And at
0: that point, it's too late.
1: It is, yeah, because the damage has been done, and all you can do is, is make it stop from being, from being worse. And so personally for me, when I went to the hospital with, with my condition, I was unconscious, so I couldn't speak for myself. And they, they thought I was having a, a drug overdose Oh
0: my and goodness.
1: Uh, I mean, nothing could have been further from the truth, but they don't know that. And right. they can't ask me that. And so all the things that they do to help identify what's going on every minute, every hour that goes by is, is one more that, that we, we don't have the, the answer we're looking for. So it's not until a lumbar puncture which you said as a, 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 a spinal tap is, is performed, that you can accurately diagnose it. But if you right. don't know that you should be doing that, then again, it could go minutes, hours, days yeah. before diagnosis is accurate, and and that's way too long.
0: Exactly, and I think I was lucky enough. Um, I don't want to speak for the hospital, but you know, I went to school in a town with so many. College campuses. Um, New Orleans has six, seven college campuses. Um, We have a large population of college age students. And I would like to think that that is something that was definitely, you know, something that's prevalent that um, hospitals are thinking about um, and always monitoring so I think I'm lucky in that regard. But like you said, you never know what situation you may be in and if you'll be in a position to advocate for yourself. So that's why I just think education on the whole is so important, you know, with healthcare providers and parents and teens and college campuses, for sure. So people know what they're looking for.
1: And if people want to know more about meningitis, there is the, the meningitis um or the National Meningitis Association is org, yes. right?
0: Right. And
1: isn't there a, there's another website that's... Yes.
0: So this year there's a new campaign uh, called Stop the Clock on Meningitis. Um, and so the website is helpstoptheclock.org.
1: And we, we mentioned it earlier, The the spokesperson for that is none other than...
0: Tiffany Thiessen, <laughs> yeah. everyone's favorite face side cheerleader, That's but right. a mom, a mom with kids that she's very concerned about. Um, and so, help stop the clock. word is cool because there's tons of information. There's, um, you know, some videos from Tiffany kind of talking about the importance. There are um, videos from survivors and families of those who didn't survive. Um, just talking about their experiences. Uh, with meningitis. But there's also this cool um, thing that you can do where you can set vaccination reminders. So you can put in the information for your uh, children and they will text you and send you uh, vaccination reminders or when it's time to make that appointment for your 11 and 12 year old shot and your 16 year um, vaccine visit.
1: Yeah, I think that's critical because as a parent, Time flies. You don't have time. You can't think about everything. Life gets busy. Things happen. And any way you can set up reminders or things to help make life easier is just it's a great thing.
0: And just a little, you know, to sweeten the deal a little bit. um, I know that if you register to get the vaccine reminders before August 31st, you are entered into a drawing to have a virtual meet and greet with Tiffany Thieson.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> I think that's I need to do always that. always wonderful. I, I may even make up right. some, some birth dates of some kids to right? make up
0: some children. <laughs> um, you're never too old to get them. You're never too old to get a meningitis shot. Register yourself.
1: Yeah. Goodness knows I have enough kids already, so we'll probably won't make up any, but, um, that's interesting to know. So what's, what's the website for that again?
0: stoptheclock.org.
1: Awesome. Okay.
0: And lots of information. Um, you can sign up, but lots of other really good information um, about meningitis, uh, symptoms, treatment, and just stories from survivors as well.
1: Awesome. Well, I didn't know anything about meningitis in 1998 when I was affected by it. And I'm just so thankful that there is so much more information uh Organizations like the National Meningitis Association that are doing really a lot of great work to help educate people and advocate for for just information knowledge advocate for both doctors and the patient yeah so that that more people are aware of what it is and that it is uh, vaccine preventable, and that the vaccines are safe and reliable. Um, but
0: one hundred percent
1: ultimately the the decision up to, is up to the person, but we we certainly suggest that they talk to their doctor and, and get all the relevant information so
0: one hundred percent and like you said, knowledge is power i mean, I think we've seen as more and more young people have been vaccinated it's definitely against a c w y the number of meningitis outbreaks and meningitis you know cases with a c w y you know have just dramatically decreased and i think that's because people are more aware aware, and more people are vaccinated so it's important
1: yeah it is and i appreciate your time crystal it's been really fun connecting with you and and getting to know you a little better if we have a um college football uh episode (laughs) in the fall where we specifically talk about the uh the aggies i will be sure to keep you on the short list of people that to chime in for all your knowledge and in-depth information about the Aggies you, and the football. You know,
0: as a, as a Louisiana girl that moved to the SEC, it makes, you know, it puts them a little bit closer in my backyard. So, yeah, I can put on a shirt and root for the team.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks again for uh, stopping by with us. And it's uh, it's been fun, connected, and uh, we'll stay in touch.
0: Absolutely. It's been great. Thanks for having me this evening. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.